there, and welcome to episode number 115 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get chipped today. Okay, so on this week's episode, we're mainly going to be talking about Jose Barrios' recent start, which was his first since uh, imploding somewhat in the World Baseball Classic. We're going to get into the encouraging signs that Jose Barrios displayed during Wednesday's outing against Baltimore Orioles. And then we're also going to get into some future pitching plans that the Blue Jays are set to announce on Friday when Major League Baseball league-wide sort of has their inaugural um, opening day starter release. Uh, It's it's a little funky this year. Um, Rob Manfred has decided that it would be best if everyone sort of announces their opening day starter at the same time and there's you know I mean I suppose it would be less chaotic to do it that way but at the same time knowing who your opening day starter is isn't all that meaningful anymore and I'll further explain that later in the episode but we're going to dive into that we're going to provide some injury updates on Ricky Tiedemann, Mitch White, uh, Otto Lopez as well and that'll probably do it for this this week's episode so let's dive right in okay so let's start with the injury updates first since we usually get those out of the way in the first part So let's begin with the Blue Jays' top pitching prospect, Ricky Tiedemann, who has been dealing with some shoulder soreness over the the last week plus, and he's been pushing back and back and back his bullpen session, just hoping that a few extra days will help uh, alleviate the, the soreness that he's had in that shoulder and luckily that has been the case you know he had been throwing off flat ground prior to Wednesday but uh, he did actually throw a bullpen on Wednesday and and it sounded like it it went encouraging Um, so it would be ideal of course that the Blue Jays could get Tiedemann in uh, into a game at least one more make him have him make one more appearance before spring training wraps up next week Um, but at the end of the day as well as long as he starts the season healthy that's all you can ask so good news on that front we also have some encouraging news on Mitch White as well who's been ramping up all spring here after being delayed with a right shoulder impingement over the winter and finally uh, he got into some game action on Wednesday he threw uh, at the Blue Jays player development complex uh, in a minor league game um, where the Blue Jays were aiming to have him throw somewhere around 45 pitches just work him up a little bit Uh, they're not gonna build him up as a starter anymore it's too late in the spring to to do that they just needed they need to get him up to speed on being able to go out and throw multiple innings in a game session in a game situation so that is you know an encouraging side or encouraging sign for him the problem with Mitch White though however 
is that it's March 23rd. So we're basically a week away from opening day. Just a little bit over, eight days. There's not a lot of time for Mitch White to get acclimated um, with the Blue Jays. I mean, obviously it's possible, but you have to give him rest after this minor league appearance, right? So just judging on the timeline, probably going to give him two, three days of rest. That puts him into next week. We're probably looking at Mitch White making one Grapefruit League appearance before the regular season. And for a team that's going to be starting the season on the road in St. Louis, is it really the best idea or would it really be the best idea to have Mitch White start the season with the Blue Jays with just one spring training appearance under his belt, assuming that he doesn't have any setbacks after this minor league appearance that he made and he's able to get into a game next week? Like, I don't know. Um, and it's not like the Blue Jays are short on bullpen options at the major league level right now. Um, obviously, if Mitch White started the year on the injured list, the Blue Jays would be able to turn to a Nate Pearson who at times has looked very strong uh, this spring. You also have Zach Pop, who also uh, has performed really well this spring, adjusting his pitch sequencing, working in a slider a little bit more, but still flashing that nasty sinker uh, that he has. And then you also have the offseason acquisition of Zach Thompson. He can give you some length, uh, even though for the most part, he is likely going to be working as a starter at the AAA level. But if you need some length out of the bullpen, he can certainly give that to you. And, and though his spring didn't start out overly well, he has uh, rebound really nicely uh, over the last three, four weeks. Or two, three weeks. It hasn't been that long um, in, in, in Grapefruit League action. But um, there's that option as well. So... Um, you know, the Blue Jays don't have to start Mitch White uh, in the bullpen at the, uh, on opening day if he's not ready. Um, it would make far more sense for him to start the season on the IL, make, you know, two or three, maybe even four uh, appearances out of the bullpen for the Bisons while the Blue Jays are on the road before they come home. In, uh, in, in early April on the 11th um, and call him up then for that first home series. That would make a lot of sense to me, um, especially given how quick of a trip it would be from Buffalo to Toronto. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw that sort of situation play out with Mitch White. And, and perhaps that provides an opportunity for Nate Pearson or Zach Pop because both of those guys have options. Same with Zach Thompson. So, um, you know, you could easily send any of those three back down to the minors if you wanted to. 
um, which when Mitch White is, is ready. Because the problem with White as well is he doesn't have any options. He's out of options. So you'd be in a bit of a tight spot because obviously you wouldn't want to expose him to waivers at this point because there's still some potential upside with White. He actually, you know, and I, I went into this detail, went into this in detail months ago about Mitch White's performance post-trade with the Blue Jays and, and how he should have fared much better than he actually did. And a part of that is because of the poor outfield defense that was behind him. Uh, another bit was the small sample size that we were working with with him. Um, so I do expect Mitch White to have a bounce back uh, performance this season with the Blue Jays. Um, that being said, I don't think at this rate we can bank on him being ready for the start of the season. And again, that might not be the worst case scenario for the Blue Jays. Anyway, and speaking of their pitching plans, we can basically map out how their rotation is going to be aligned at least for the first few turns through the rotation just based on how it's currently set up in spring training games. So, you know, it seems like given the fact that Manoa is scheduled to start Friday and that means he would be lined up perfectly to start on opening day. It would just be fitting for the Blue Jays to announce him as their opening day starter. You have Kevin Gosman follow him, and then you have Chris Bassett as your number three, Jose Barrios number four, and Kikuchi in the five spot rounding out the rotation. But the Blue Jays do have an off day pretty early in April, so they could always switch up the rotation a little bit if they so choose um, and uh, and obviously to the way they start the way their rotation starts the season may not be the way it finishes just like how we saw last season when Jose Barrios was Toronto's opening day starter and Alec Manoa was their game one starter in the wildcard series against the Seattle Mariners so you know that's that's why and I guess I'll touch on this now since I brought it up. But it's why I don't really hold too much weight into who's your opening day starter. Just because, like, all 30 teams have one. And just because, you know, Alex Manoa might be the Blue Jays opening day starter, that doesn't mean he's going to have a better season than, say, Kevin Gosman or even Chris Bassett to that extent. Um, it's just... It's just fitting. It, it fits his personality that he would be the opening day starter, right? He's got that big game mantra. Not to say that Kevin Gosman or even Chris Bassett don't. Um, it's just... Manoa is made for that type of situation in that moment. And you know, for a guy like him, knowing his backstory, which the, which Sportsnet is, is going to do a great feature on all year, um, but knowing where he came from, um, we all know this would mean a lot for him being tabbed as the Blue Jays opening day starter in 2023. So, and, and, and it, 
for many pitchers, that status means something for them. So, you know, it's not like we can dismiss it completely because it obviously holds water for some pitchers. It's just in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really mean a whole hell of a lot. Right? Like, I I still remember uh, years back when Drew Hutchison was the Blue Jays opening day starter in 2014, I believe. And And I... I think Marco Estrada was their opening day starter in 2015. So, um, just it's more of a a fan thing than anything else. Um, not to say that isn't important. And again, um, it it does mean something for for a lot of pitchers. It's just, it just doesn't really mean a whole lot. So um, that's where that situation's at. Uh, also, also Otto Lopez is back playing with the team again. He's healthy uh, after dealing with a bit of a sore groin after playing in the World Baseball Classic for Team Canada. Uh, he got into Wednesday's game playing second base, and it sounds like um, second base is a position the Blue Jays really want him to um, get a lot of reps at through the end of this spring just because if he does in fact break camp with the team second base you know is largely probably a position he'll spend a decent amount of reps at obviously given his versatility he'll probably end up he would probably end up bouncing around everywhere um but given the amount of games that both Chapman and Bichette both play uh in or like to play in there probably aren't many reps on the left side of the infield for Lopez or anyone else for that matter. Um, you know, it wouldn't shock me if we see Lopez in the outfield a bit as well. He's playing shortstop in Thursday's game, so clearly they, they just want to make him feel comfortable playing all around, all around the diamond. And as well, shortstop is Lopez's natural position. He was the everyday shortstop for Team Canada in the WBC, so uh, it makes a lot of sense to give him a start uh, at that position there. So, you know, not uh, not a lot of notable injury updates. Obviously, it's all good news, which is the best kind of injury updates you can have. Um, but for the most part, things are relatively quiet uh, on that front for the Blue Jays and have been uh, that way for most of the spring, which is all you can ask because, you know, during this time of year, injuries are just an absolute killer. Look at the Houston Astros or the New York Mets. So the Blue Jays are, are certainly fortunate in that sense. Now, moving on to Jose Barrios here. Because, well, he's the main subject of this episode. And it's been a very interesting spring thus far for Jose Barrios and that might even be a bit of an understatement because he's coming off a season with the Blue Jays where it was a nightmare it it was a roller coaster it was it was uh, Jekyll and Hyde like it was any sort of description that you can make of it um like he he posted a 5.23 ERA across 32 starts 
worth 1.1 Fangraphs wins above replacement, but like that would just be telling a small little piece of his story. That's just the tip of the iceberg because there were times where he would look brilliant, like his old self, his old consistent self, the, the, the pitcher who was one of the more consistent starters in the majors prior to 2022 but then there were other starts where he just absolutely exploded he got lit up mainly um, his fastballs were lit up he didn't have uh, the sharp horizontal break on his curveball on his slurve um, that he normally does so he went into the offseason searching and a part of it was searching for confidence because you know for a guy who struggled for an extended period of time which he hasn't done throughout basically his entire professional career Uh, it's a major shock to the system for Jose Barrios and understandably so I think if any of us were were in his position last season you you would just feel helpless and lost and and because you know it wasn't just one thing that led to his struggles it wasn't just that you know, his fastball wasn't uh, effective enough. He wasn't locating his fastball well. Um, you know, it was sequencing. It was mechanical. It was, me- you know, his, his mental health. Um, just all the above that um, weighed him down last season. And um, when you hear him speak this spring... He speaks, uh, Jose Barrios talks about uh, working on his uh, his mindset and his confidence all winter and, and not allowing that to waver this spring no matter the results. And even after struggling for Team Puerto Rico in the WBC, he still, you know, um, made an emphasis to flush that as quick as possible and focus on you know, the positive results and, and process that he has um, enjoyed this spring with the Blue Jays. And, you know, the thing as well that not enough people are focusing on or have focused on leading up to that start in the WBC is that Brios was out of his rhythm before that game. Like, he, he went, I believe, 10 days between his last start with the Blue Jays and his uh, very brief uh, appearance in the WBC. He was throwing bullpen sessions, but at the same time as well, he wasn't working with Alejandro Kirk. He wasn't working with Pete Walker and the rest of the Blue Jays coaching staff watching and critiquing and advising him. And it was evident when you look at his pitch sequencing in that start, it was completely different from what he had been using and what he used on on Wednesday in his start with the Blue Jays, and um, that's when you know Pete Walker even said uh, once he looked deeper into Brios's start for Team Puerto Rico, he he became less concerned about it easily, instantly because of that sequencing and how it was completely different from what the Blue Jays were. Um, using him with or what he was using with the Blue Jays Um, so you know that's why um, there was a lot of anticipation leading into Brios' start on Wednesday and uh, 
it was certainly far from perfect, but at the same time, it was definitely a step in the right direction and an appearance that Rios can build off. And John Schneider said as much post-game, um, saying Barrios showed all, all the right things. His process was exactly um, back to where the Blue Jays wanted it to be. And the results kind of showed it too. Like Barrios pitched five innings of one-run ball, allowing six hits, one walk, uh, and he struck out five. Um, and, he, and he almost went uh, five sh- or four shutout innings, you know, like, um, or he did go five shutout innings before coming back for the sixth inning and, and allowing that uh, solo home run uh, in the sixth inning before departing. But um, there were a lot of good, a lot of positives and negatives to take away from this start. Uh, obviously the home run would be one of the negatives and the fact that Jose Barrios still allowed a significant amount of hard contact is another, you know, knock against him. And uh, he was bailed out at times by his defense. Um, You know, like, he only induced three batted ball events under 94 miles per hour or that had a... Uh, exit velocity of less than 94 miles per hour, which not ideal, um, but at the same time as well, Brio started incredibly well in the first inning. Like he struck out the side on 20 pitches, I believe, inducing um, two strikeouts on his ch- with his changeup and one with his uh, two seamer slash sinker. And um, you also are more encouraged, or at least you come away more encouraged by Barrios' start when you dig deeper beyond the box score. And and what I mean by that is how Barrios utilized his fastballs in this outing. So for context here, Barrios got lit up last season by left-handed hitters. Like they slashed 298, 351, and 514 blasting 20 home runs against him and producing a 373 Woba and a 317 BAP. Uh, and he also earned a 5 554 fifth. And his strikeouts dropped significantly compared to previous seasons. He induced a 28% strikeout rate against left-handed hitters in 2021. Last season, that dropped all the way down to 17.1%. So, not great, right? Uh, again, another example of Brios's 2022 struggles, not easy to say, but his struggles weren't just because of one issue or two issues. There were multiple. But one of the biggest ones was his results against left-handed hitters. Now, one of the reasons for that is because his fastballs got absolutely mashed by lefties. You know, they hit his four-seamer, uh, or, or they uh, produced a 381 batting average and a 752 slugging percentage against his four-seamer last season. To go along with that, they also hit a 344 expected average and a 672 expected slugging. So, again, 
not great. And his sinker, well, he didn't really use that um, against lefties. But even when he did, they generated a fair amount of hard contact against it, um, averaging a 93.9 um, average exit velocity. So the results weren't great against his fastballs um, last season. But part of the reason for that as well is he didn't locate them well at all. And his game plan for attacking lefties didn't really make a whole lot of sense either because Brios loves to use his changeup low and away to lefties, right? It's how he generates a lot of his swing and miss um, along with his slurve, um, which generated a 29.7% whiff rate against lefties last season, which was the highest amongst all of his pitches, but he didn't really do a, an effective job of setting up those change-ups either, because he featured a lot of four-seamers and two-seamers away to lefties, so all of their sights were away. Right? They didn't have to worry about the inside half of the plate unless they saw his slurve um, sliding across the plate. But again, you, you can detect that. You can recognize that pretty easily when everything else is away and the only thing coming inside really is his slurve. So um, like it was pretty easy, again, for lefties to um, decipher what, a, what game plan Barrios had against them. But what changed, or what has changed this spring, is that Barrios has been throwing a lot more fastballs glove side, so inside to lefties. And he did that a lot with his two-seamer. And it reminds me a lot of how Alec Manoa attacks lefties, right? He uses that front door two-seamer against them, and it's really effective. And so now Barrios has to do a similar thing. And the results in Wednesday's outing were pretty effective. You know, like he did still leave some fastballs in the middle of the plate. Not as much, at least especially compared to, um, you know, a lot of his starts last season where many of his fastballs just finished in the heart of the plate. And when you're not featuring high 90s velocity, that's going to burn you. And it did. So the fact that he's now throwing a lot more two-seamers and four-seamers inside to lefties, they now have to start worrying about the inside half of the plate, which sets them up beautifully with his changeup blown away. And the result of that game plan was Barrios' changeup inducing five whiffs on nine swings on Wednesday, and they were responsible for three of his five strikeouts on the day. So, like, it was by far his most effective swing and miss weapon on Wednesday. And, again, like, it, this is another reason why you can't accurately judge spring training results, because in a normal game setting, Brios isn't going to face as many lefties as he did 
on Wednesday, especially because it wasn't Baltimore's regular lineup. At the same time, however, it was great practice for Barrios because it allowed him to execute that new refined game plan that he needs to have against left-handed hitters if he's going to be more successful in 2023. So I really love the way he attacked the lefties in this outing. Again, he still allowed a lot of hard contact and that's something he's going to have to continue to work on throughout the season. But the fact that we can come away with his process being as good as it was, that is certainly something to be encouraged about because far too often last season, he was overly predictable, especially against lefties. Like we just explained. So now that he's starting to become a little bit less predictable, against lefties, that's going to set him up to be significantly more uh, effective against those type of, types of hitters. And, um, you know, he, is, he has an opportunity to be even better as well because uh, his velocity was down significantly on Wednesday. And that's probably not a, a cause for concern because... You know, he was, he was working on a lot of things. So, Rios probably wasn't all too worried about his velocity uh, on the mound. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if he was intentionally throwing a little bit softer just so that uh, he could work on his pinpoint accuracy because he was throwing so many inside fastballs to lefties. So, um, you know, obviously, if that's... If that, continues into the regular season then sure um that would raise some red flags but at the same time we haven't really seen his velocity um dip too low this spring so i'm not overly overly concerned about that at all especially considering how his, how effective his process was despite um the the minor velocity declines um as well, too, like his his slurve didn't feature that sharp horizontal break um, that it needs to. It, it averaged 12 inches of horizontal break, um, which was four inches less than uh, his, his season average in 2022 of 16 inches uh, of horizontal break. So, um, again, though, he wasn't really focused on uh, his slurve. Like he did throw it 21 times at a 27% usage, but he was far more focused on, you know, uh, uh, practicing with his fastballs and changeup, particularly with that setup, right? Using the fastballs into lefties and then breaking off the changeups loan away to them uh, to induce those swings and misses. So um, I think, you know, we'll probably see Barrios make one more appearance this spring before heading into the regular season but um if he continues to utilize this game plan which for some reason he's never used at all previously in his career like he's always thrown fastball or four seamers and two seamers away to lefties and it's just it's baffling as to why nobody advised him otherwise because he could have been even more effective 
against lefties um, during his previous seasons. Like in 2021, he was still pretty effective against lefties um, who slashed 254, 315, 474 against him with a 336 uh, Woba and a 322 Bap. So, you know, they, they did still create a ton of contact against him, but he induced a lot more swing and miss against them mainly with his uh, with his slurp which produced a 34.1% whiff rate so um, but at the same time he was considerably less predictable he didn't throw anywhere near as many four seamers that season he incorporated his sinker a lot more like a lot more Um, its usage was almost 10 percent higher in 2021 than it was in 2022 so um but even at that rate he was still throwing almost all of them away to lefties rather than attacking the inside half of the strike zone to, uh, against them um so I, I i think this this new um this new process this new game plan is going to help him out significantly against lefties this season and um, if that's the case we're you know I'm not saying Barrios is going to revert back to the consistent pitcher that he wasn't previously um, but there's no question that this should help him enjoy a far more pr- uh, productive campaign in, uh, in in year three with the Blue Jays so um, this is certainly something again like Schneider said this is a performance that he can build off um, and, and hopefully start the season on a positive note with because if Jose Barrios is improved from last season and you already have Manoa at the top of the rotation with uh, Kevin Gosman and Chris Bassett. You've Jose Barrios pitching well as your number four. Your rotation is going to be in a really, really good spot. And you know that's what the Blue Jays are hoping for. And as well, if Barrios can um, be closer to the consistent pitcher that he was previously, it'll help mitigate any of the struggles that Kikuchi may encounter out of the gate because there's still a lot of uncertainty as to how he'll perform moving forward despite having a pretty encouraging spring thus far except maybe from his his most recent outing but we'll see how he fares on Thursday uh, against the Minnesota Twins it'll certainly be an outing worth keeping an eye on um and uh uh but again you know at the same time at this rate, given the amount of depth or lack thereof um, when it comes to starting pitching that the Blue Jays have available to them at the major league level, it would have to, t- it would have to, uh, it would take an injury at this point for Kikuchi not to start the season as the Blue Jays' fifth starter. Um, that being said, even though, again, even if he starts the season at the back of the rotation that's not to say that situation may not change throughout the entirety of the 2023 campaign so 
but that does it for this week's episode. I hope all of you will join me next week as we preview the regular season. I'm aiming to record just before um, the J- the Blue Jays' first game in St. Louis. So uh, hopefully all of you will tune in before the game and, uh, and hear my thoughts before the 2023 season officially kicks off. But uh, until that time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and now you're up to date. And please remember, wear a mask, wear it properly, and get vaccinated. Thanks for listening.